welcome everyone to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us on the line today is Dr. Deb Johnston to answer your medical questions. Dr. Johnston's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Johnston. Good morning, Laura. It's good to be with you guys today. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Johnston. It's great to hear your voice and connect with you again. Um, We're glad you're available today to answer our questions. These last few months during COVID-19, we've all been affected in, in different ways, and you have had your own journey as you have been providing care for your aging loved ones. Could you tell us more about what it's been like to be a caregiver in these unusual times? Boy, you know, being a caregiver is a really challenging role under any circumstances, and uh, when you have that added worry about uh, introducing or, or having COVID-19 introduced into the household, it's, um, it's even more challenging. It's, uh, my, some, some of our listeners may know that I had um, planned in March to have carpal tunnel surgery and then head down to Arizona to help bring my parents back to Iowa and get them settled. But um, in the interim, between the time I made those plans and the time it actually came to fruition, um, my mother's breast cancer recurred, and she uh, developed metastatic disease to her brain. So uh, particularly early on, the caregiving we were doing had a lot more to do with keeping her safe uh, than physical caregiving. Um, she developed basically a form of dementia, and so we had concerns about things like um, it, eloping, basically leaving the house and getting lost, and um, as things progressed, her physical needs increased a lot, and of course, you know, under under normal circumstances, we would have considered uh, a memory care unit or a nursing home or something like like that that was set up to, to keep people safe when they have dementia, and, um, but under the COVID-19 situation, that would have meant she would have gone in there, and um, no one would have been able to visit her, and uh, she would have died alone uh, without her family, and, and that was just not something that my family could um, could face doing. So uh, we were blessed to be able to care for her at home, and we were blessed because um, both myself and my dad and then my sister was able to come, so we had... Uh, had enough people to share the burden, but boy, you know, I think about a lot of my patients where we have an elderly couple that are either caregivers for each other or one of them is the caregiver for the other, and it is it is a huge challenge to do that, um, especially, I think, with dementia, where uh, a lot of times you are working against the the person themselves because they don't understand their limitations. I know I had uh, an elderly gentleman who um, 
was quite quite elderly and uh, did not understand his limitations and kept trying to use his his chainsaw, um, which is just a, a terrible thing to think about. And his poor wife, who was as elderly as he and this frail, tiny little woman, um, spent an awful lot of time trying to to run after him and and keep him from doing these things that weren't safe, but he didn't understand the limitations, so he would get very angry at her uh, because she was trying to boss him around. And I saw that with my own mother, too. She would get very angry with uh, particularly my father and tell him he was bossy um, and to, to stop being so bossy. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's quite a challenge. Caregiving is, is a huge burden, and... Um, yeah, it's, it's something that I find we don't always have as much help for the people uh, who are in that situation as would be ideal, but there is help available if uh, people will accept it, um, both through the state and, of course, there's a lot of private uh, organizations that can bring somebody in to do nursing tasks or personal care tasks like helping the individual um, bathe and even things like uh, just respite. So someone who will come and, and be with that person for a while so that the main caregiver can get out and um, go for a walk or, or go shopping or in, in days past get their nails done or whatever, whatever it is that they need to do to kind of take care of themselves. Uh, so if you are in a situation where you are a caregiver and you recognize that you can use some assistance, please do reach out. Um, our clinic has a, a team, the care coordination team, and they can help you identify resources that may be a good fit for you to help you get that help. So um, you don't have to be in it alone, although it, it does tend to be a very isolating and uh, difficult experience. Thank you for sharing about your personal story there and um, what a blessing that you were able to be there for your mom and your sister and your dad and get to spend that um, time together, um, even though it was so unusual in so, so many ways. Well, we need to go to our first break, and uh, we thank our listeners for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and in our podcast. Give us a call now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will be returning following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. The grass is growing, and that means it's time to mow. Please remember these safety measures to protect your health. Wear goggles, hearing protection, gloves, and long pants. Always wear sturdy closed-toed shoes while mowing the lawn. Do not drink alcohol or use other substances before or while using your lawnmower. Do not remove safety devices or guards on the mower and never insert hands or feet into the mower to remove grass or debris. Parents, teach these safety measures to your children. This safety tip is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Dr. Deb Johnston is here to discuss your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 
Before our break, Dr. Johnston was sharing how she spent some time with her family um, as her mom um, was passing away and providing care for her and, um, and spending time with her dad and um, her sister. Dr. Johnston, I was wondering, um, what did you find to be helpful as you manage the stress and responsibilities and grief um, during this time? You know, we, we had a lot of support. Um, my my mother had a wonderful network of friends, and they would uh, bring meals, and, uh, you know, obviously they couldn't come and, and visit with us, and they couldn't, um, they couldn't provide that, here, let me sit with Teresa for a little while while you guys go somewhere and do things. Um, but it, it was really remarkably helpful to not have to worry about, well, what are we going to eat for dinner tonight, and let's, let's do that cooking and everything. Even with three of us, none of us were, it's not our strong suit for any of the three of us to do that. So that, that was very, very helpful to us. Uh, also, we made a real point that everybody got out at least once a day and was able to to go for a long walk, and mm-hmm. sometimes we'd go individually, and sometimes we'd go as various pairs, and um, so that was very helpful. Also, because there were so many of us, we were able to make sure that everybody got enough sleep, uh, and that's something that, again, we were really in a very fortunate position to be able to do that, and a lot of times when you have a single caregiver, um, that person's got to sleep sometime, but they're always sleeping with one ear open because um, you never know. A lot of a lot of people who are needing care, particularly people with dementia, will find that their their sleep is very disrupted. And we certainly had that issue with my mom, especially in the earlier stages where. Um, when the rest of us were wanting to go to bed, my mom, who always struggled to stay up for the evening news, would get very agitated and she would be wandering and, and um, very resistive, uh, very angry at bedtime. So uh, that's a real challenge, and for people who are trying to do this alone, um, that bedtime issue is a huge challenge. So. Uh, we were able to get enough sleep, and if there's some way that a caregiver can make sure that they're well-rested, um, that they're eating well, just taking good care of themselves. Remember, you can't take care of anybody else if you're run down. It's like the old, uh, when you're on the airplane, you need to put your own oxygen mask on first. Um, a nice medical analogy that, that Dr. Cruz, one of the other prairie docs, likes to use is the heart feeds itself first. Hmm. When we look at the way blood goes through the body, the, the heart sends the oxygenated blood to the heart first. Uh, that's the very first takeoff. So you really need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself or you're not going to be able to take care of your loved one. Mm-hmm. You know, we just had a call come in with a question that relates to this. Um, a, someone writes, a caregiver for almost six years and is burned out. Any yes. suggestions to regain the passion to um, keep doing that? I think that there are a couple of, of different ways. One of, one of the first questions I'd ask is if this person was... Uh, 
a caregiver in their own home um, for somebody that they love, if they're what we call an informal caregiver, uh, or if they're someone who works in a nursing home or a, a care facility. And uh, the answer is, is a little different in both of those situations. Um, in the private caregiver realm, I would really encourage that individual to to reach out to their loved one's uh, doctor and care team and see if they can't get you uh, connected with respite care. Um, somebody that can come in and, and help with some of those things in order to give you a break. Um, under normal circumstances, sometimes people would even uh, go into a nursing home or a care facility for uh, a weekend or a week so that that caregiver could, you know, go to somebody's wedding or, or take a little vacation or do something like that so that they could get a break and, and recharge their batteries. If you're a professional caregiver, that's a little bit different. Um, and it is a very high burnout profession because it is a very demanding profession. It's often not very well paid. Um, and, you know, you, you have a lot that you're worried about. For example, right now, all of our caregivers in nursing homes have to worry about bringing COVID into the, into the facility and uh, getting tested and, and everything else. So um, I would encourage them to take advantage of some of the resources that are available out there about uh, healthcare provider burnout. Uh, I know Avera has what they call the LIGHT program, and that primarily focuses on physicians, physician assistants, nursing, um, nurse practitioners, you know. But there's a lot of good information there about self-care and resiliency and um, those kinds of, of resources. It's called the Avera Light Program, and some of that is available, um, you know, to non-Avera providers as well, a lot of those things that you can read. A lot of people find that keeping a gratitude journal can be very helpful. Just every day write down three things that you're grateful for. Um, meditation can be helpful, and a lot of these things feel kind of hokey, um, but for a lot of people, they work really well. Again, making sure that you're doing those things to take care of yourself, uh, to walk regularly, eat regularly, uh, eat nutritious instead of junk food, um, make sure that you're getting enough sleep. Sometimes you need somebody to talk to. Um, and a lot of times there's other things going on in your life, too, that just add to the stress and the burden. It is a very, very important role and an often unappreciated role in, in our society, um, and it's pretty easy to get burned out. Some really great insight there on how to make sure we're taking care of ourselves if we are taking care of someone else, too, and how um, that goes together, doesn't it? Well, we need to Very take much. our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Our programs are available on Apple Podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Being alone or with very limited social interactions during the pandemic can be difficult. 
With some effort on your part, there are some ways to decrease the effects of isolation. Keep a schedule. Stay active. Do something meaningful like working on your genealogy or organizing photo albums. Connect with others by letter, email, phone, Zoom, or try online games. Find comfort in old movies or lighting a candle and having a cup of tea. These are just a few ideas to get you thinking. You can do this. If you find your loneliness getting out of hand with feelings of depression, call your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Dr. Deb Johnston is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We have had a couple of questions come in. Thank you for giving us a call with your questions. Um, We also had a postcard come in too. So thank you for sending your notes to us um, so we can discuss those on the radio. Um, Dr. Johnston, we had last week, we were talking about organ donation with Dr. Jill Cruz. And so this question I think follows up some with that. And it says, um, how do you donate stem cells? The physical process of donating stem cells, there's three different ways that stem cells can be collected. The probably best known way or most versatile way is actually umbilical cord blood. Uh, After a baby is delivered um, and the cord is clamped and the baby is detached from the placenta, um, we can, if this is arranged in advance, collect, drain the placenta into a container, basically, and collect that blood. And that blood is very, very rich in stem cells. Now, that can be kind of a trickier proposition on down the road because uh, you have stem cells that you've harvested, but we don't know how long they'll be good for. Uh, The quantity of stem cells in that, that volume of blood may not be sufficient by itself to to do something for an adult. Um, So that's a a bit of a challenging situation. Plus, of course, um, that's only one very defined moment in an individual's life that that you can do that. There are other alternatives um, that we can use to collect stem cells. You can have a biopsy, a bone marrow biopsy, um, which is something that's done at the hospital, often under anesthesia, because it's a very painful procedure otherwise, uh, where we take a a needle and uh, put that needle into, usually into the hip, um, kind of the what we call the sit bone sometimes, where a person might rest a child on your hip. Uh, That iliac crest region is a good place to harvest stem cells from. And then we'll suck out some bone marrow from there and harvest the stem cells from the bone marrow. Uh, Another alternative, we can use some medicine that causes the bone marrow to really... uh, aggressively reproduce and and produce those cells, and that will often leak stem cells out into the blood, and then we can draw blood uh, to collect those stem cells. So that's kind of the mechanics of it. Um, There's different reasons that people might want to donate stem cells. Uh, Probably the most common one would be that they have a loved one 
who is in need of stem cells. Um, and in that case, you would work with your loved one's uh, care team physician to arrange that. Uh, some people just want to bank their stem cells and, and donate those for other people. And um, there are organizations that will do that, although that's, that's not very common. Interesting. Okay. Well, thanks for filling us in on how um, how we can donate stem cells and, and some of the reasons for that. We had another question come in. Um, this person writes, I am a diabetic. I have a problem with belly body fat. Can some of this be caused by insulin, which I am on? And what about artificial sweetener like stevia? It keeps blood sugar count down, but it can cause fat. And she says, thanks. And she says, I also walk 30 plus minutes a day or more, seven days a week, and I am elderly. Boy, first off, I just really have to have to commend this person for exercising like that. That is wonderful, and that is probably one of the biggest things that they can do to, to protect their health is to stay active and keep walking and, and keep exercising. Um, indeed, insulin can cause... Uh, that kind of body fat distribution. The other thing is simply age and the hormonal changes that happen to us as we age. We tend to uh, lose muscle mass and uh, deposit more fat. Um, so she's kind of got a lot of strikes against her there that way. Um, my, but obviously insulin is an extremely important part of treating diabetes. There are some newer agents that uh, might be an alternative for this individual, but, you know, fundamentally insulin is our, is our biggest uh, treatment tool. So there may not be any alternative or any affordable alternative for this individual for um, their, their diabetes, but it's something that they could certainly talk with their doctor about if there might be something else. Um, staying active, watching those carbs, uh, less insulin would mean less forcing of, of fat into fat cells or forcing those calories into fat cells. The artificial sugars, artificial sweeteners um, are not helping the situation any. I think there's still <clears throat> some controversy and debate over exactly how, um, what kind of a role that those things will play. Uh, but I would certainly encourage everybody to decrease the amount of added sweeteners that they drink, whether that's artificially sweetened beverages like soda or sugar-free soda uh, in your coffee and your cooking, all of those kinds of things to try to reduce the amount of sweetener that we use, and that can only be helpful. She may also find that adding some strength training I guess I'm making an assumption that this individual is female. Um, they, they may very well be male, but they can uh, increase the amount of exercise that they're doing and adding some strength training to that and flexibility to try to um, increase their muscle mass may be very helpful for them. But the, the number one thing, they're keeping their sugars under control and they're exercising regularly, and both of those things are, are fantastic. All right. Excellent. Thanks for that info. And I wanted to ask a follow-up on those artificial sweeteners. You know, I think in summertime, we all um, start to drink different beverages more as we get hot out there. Um, 
we might grab those Gatorades or different, um, we think they're diet sodas or whatever, but um, all of these different drinks, even if they're maybe um, advertised as healthy, perhaps are not. Is that correct, Dr. Johnston? That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, you know, the best, the best thing is water. Obviously, there's people under certain circumstances that maybe need to replace their electrolytes and, and need that, that sugar hit. So particularly people like uh, distance runners or people that are exercising really heavily may have a need for some of those um, uh, electrolyte-containing or sugar-containing beverages. But for the vast majority of us, Water is going to be our best option for staying hydrated. Uh, iced tea, unsweetened iced tea, I know that would make me a, a heretic in the South, but uh, sweetened iced tea is still the um, artificially sweetened beverage, so that's not a, not a great healthy choice. Uh, you can certainly use some of those little infusers where you can put slices of fruit or cucumber or whatever whatever you like. Uh, into your water bottle and have that water be flavored uh, but not sweetened, and that's a good option too. Okay, well, it's time for us to go to our final break, and we will return following this informative message from a very medical group. Be aware, with warmer weather, you may find ticks. Ticks live in grassy, bushy, or wooded areas. Spending time outside walking your dog, camping, gardening, or hunting can bring you in close contact with ticks. To prevent ticks from attaching, treat your clothes and gear with products containing 0.5% permethrin. Permethrin can be used to treat boots, clothing, and camping gear and remains protective through several washings. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Dr. Deb Johnston is here to discuss your medical questions. We thank you for the great information you've been providing us, Dr. Johnston. We have a question here. As we are all enjoying some time out in the sun, what do we need to consider when it comes to sunscreen? Well, the number one thing is to wear it. Yes. <laughs> uh, sunscreen is really, really important. Um, SPF 30 is what you should aim for. I know I'm always tempted by the SPF 50, but your sunscreen, when it's exposed to the sun, is degraded by the sun. So SPF 50 doesn't really protect you more than SPF 30 does, uh, simply because it won't last that long. Um, use enough. You, you need to use a lot of sunscreen in order to get an adequate, adequate block. It, for an average-sized person, at least a shot glass full of sunscreen and reapply frequently. Even if you have waterproof sunscreen on uh, and you're, or you're not in the water, again, that sun degrades that sunscreen, so you really need to be reapplying every couple of hours. It also takes a little while for that sunscreen to bind to your skin, uh, so you don't want to put it on and, and pop right out the door. You want to give it a little bit of time to, to do its in order for it to be most effective. And that's definitely an important thing to remember as we head into these, these warmer months and we're all outside. The other thing that I want to hit and make sure that everybody remembers, coronavirus is still here. We're seeing more numbers in Brookings and around the country. Um, it's still really, really important that we protect each other by wearing our masks anytime we're, we're out in public, particularly in a closed-in area like 
um, grocery stores or those kinds of things. Uh, wear your mask, protect your neighbor. Excellent reminder. Yes, it's um, we've been enjoying a little bit more freedom, and it's been nice to be outside, but a great reminder that we need to um, wear our mask to protect others and ourselves. So thank you for that reminder. Well, before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. This week's On Call with the Prairie Doc Summer Encore Show covers the opioid crisis. Originally broadcast in December of 2019, this episode features the late Dr. Richard Holm with guest Dr. Stephen Tamang of Project Recovery and Dr. Mark Harlow of Regional Health Urgent Care. These physicians will talk about the epidemic of opioid addiction and discuss the options for prevention and treatment. I encourage everyone to um, take the time to watch that episode. I was revisiting it and it's an excellent episode with um, great information on the opioid epidemic, and it was really wonderful to see Dr. Holm in his element helping provide the um, medical information we all love to hear and learn about. So I encourage you to tune in for that um, rebroadcast uh, this Thursday night. So you can watch the full episode this Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube. For free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library, visit www.prairiedoc.org. And look for the Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Deb Johnston for joining us today. Thank you for providing such wonderful medical information and sharing about your family's um, story over these past few months. We've certainly been thinking of you and your family. Um, And as we wrap up, as Dr. Holm would say, Stay healthy out there, people.